Welcome to Down to Earth That Heavenly Minded Podcast. Hosted by Irving Rich. Thoughts on John's First Epistle. By James Boyd. Chapter 3. But immediately he speaks of born of him, his heart overflows with the infinite wealth of blessing which belongs to this place of privilege which we have in the Father's love. And he calls upon the saints to contemplate the love bestowed upon us in giving us this place, the place of children of God. The reader may not be aware that the word techna, here translated sons, is more correctly children. John does not speak of sons, nee. The Father has bestowed this love upon us. It is the love wherewith he loved the Son. We have his place before the world, and he is in us as our life and nature, and although he has been cast out by this world and put to death, he lives in us in the power of the Spirit, and comes out in moral manifestation in our mortal bodies. What a wonderful calling ours is. And it is the Father in the greatness of his unspeakable love who has saved us, that we may be blameless and harmless, irreproachable children of God, in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation, among whom we appear as lights in the world. Perhaps my reader may be ready to exclaim, I am far from this. I am full of failure. This is altogether beyond me, but I would ask you to consider that it is true of the children of God. These are days of great weakness and failure, and we may be but little exercised, and consequently what is of the mere nature of man gets mixed up with all that is of God in us. And our testimony for him is marred and hindered, but if we walked more habitually in the judgment of self and in the enjoyment of the love of God, our testimony would be more distinct. But all this was true of the apostles, and it is the mind of God for the least of his own. Throughout the black and dark night of the absence of Christ we are set here to shine for him. We may be able to tell little or nothing about those bright luminaries sparkling every night in the blue vault of heaven. Their movements may be watched by us with curiosity and wonderment, or they may have no interest or attraction for us, but there they nightly appear with the gathering gloom, and as long as the darkness continues, maintain their lonely, silent vigil, utterly unaffected by man's unthankfulness or gratitude. They are there for the benefit of all, evil and good, just and unjust. We had no hand in placing them there, neither are they there by our request. They are not accountable to us for their service, neither would the least one of them alter his orbit the breadth of a hair to please earth's many millions. They keep the path marked out for them by their maker, and, from this they swerve not. They are silent spectators of that which transpires upon earth, and whatever influence they may exercise upon it, it is secret and unostentatious, and with its politics and pollutions they do not meddle. Neither with the principles by which society is consolidated or convulsed do they interfere. They take no part nor interest in the things with which men engross themselves in forgetfulness of God. They are a heavenly company, and they walk in their several spheres in rigid separation from this world. Their business is to give light upon the earth, and this they do, each according to his measure. Such are the children of God. And the world knows them not because it knew him not. Now are we the children of God. What we shall be has not yet been manifested, but if we have now the place of children in the Father's love, and Christ's place before the world. There can be no question as to what we shall be in the day when the Father's counsels shall be perfected. The day of manifestation has not yet come, but when it does come it will bring to light the sons of God all conformed to the image of Christ, he the firstborn among many brethren. Those who are now in the relationship of children in a world hostile to them and partakers with Christ in his rejection and suffering, will in the day of display be seen in the same glory as himself, and all in bodies glorified like his own. In that day the world will come to the knowledge that the Son was sent by the Father, and that the Father has loved believers as he has loved Christ. We are left here upon earth to bear witness that the Father sent the Son, and if we were all walking in the unity of the Spirit and in the exercise of divine love, 
the witness would be clear and distinct, and there might be some hope of the world believing the testimony, but the witness has failed and become obscured. And the world has to march on in its unbelief until the day of manifestation comes, and when the saints are displayed before all eyes perfectly conformed to the Son of God, then the world will not believe. But know that the Father sent the Son, and that he has loved us as he has loved him, John chapter 17 verse 23. But if when he appears we are to appear with him in glory, we must first of all go to be with him, before the day of display arrives. He will receive us to himself before he shows himself to the world. When the day approaches in which he will take over the kingdoms of this world and make them his own, he will call up the saints dead and living to himself. That when he appears to the world we may be able to appear with him. We shall see him as he is. We shall be at home with him a little while in the Father's house before the world shall see him. The world shall never see him as he is. It is one thing to see a mighty prince at home in his father's house in the quiet and in the affections of that home among his brethren. And quite another thing to witness him in the splendor of his power in the field of battle with wrath enthroned upon his brow and his sword bathed in blood. The world shall see him thus, we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. If the day of the glory of Christ is before our souls and if we know we are to be conformed to his image. If this is the bright hope of our hearts, we will not allow ourselves to be influenced by the spirit of the world. It was the hope of the heart of the Apostle Paul, and he steadily pursued it as the goal at which B was to arrive, and by him everything else was esteemed rubbish that he might win Christ. It is then that eternal life will be reached in its fullness, and it is in this way that Paul in his epistles places it before the saints. He speaks of himself as in hope of it, and he speaks of the grace of God, which brings salvation to all men, as teaching us to await the blessed hope. If I have the hope of one day being in the likeness of Christ I shall not accept a lower standard of perfection. And the effect of this will be that even now I will be increasing in moral correspondence with him. In these few verses, verses 1 to 3, we have first, the Father's call, children of God. Second, what we shall be, like him. Third, having this hope in us, we purify ourselves according to that standard. Our present place is children of God in the Father's love. Our prospect, sons with his Son, having not one fragment of the earthly order about us, and manifested thus to his glory before the eyes of an astonished and admiring world. What marvelous love! The epistle points out three things which distinguish those who are begotten of God. The first is righteousness, chapter 2 verse 29, the second, love, chapter 4 verse 7, the third, faith, chapter 5 verse 1. In the chapter we are considering, chapter 3, it is righteousness which is presented as the distinguishing feature of one of heavenly origin, in contrast with sin, which marks the children of the devil. Love comes in in the latter half of the chapter, but more as an element of righteousness, the fulfillment of responsibility rather than nature. It is presented much more as nature in chapter 4. Later on in chapter 4 we do get the obligations imposed upon us, on account of being objects of the love of God, but in verse 7 it is nature. Everyone that loves is born of God, and knows God. But here in chapter 3 it is presented much more in the sense of righteousness. The Apostle tells us in verse 4 that sin is lawlessness, not exactly, transgression of the law, sin was in the world before law, but lawlessness. It is the state of the creature, broken loose from the authority of God, and walking in the ways of his own heart, regardless of God's will. Now Christ was manifested to bring this to an end, and the way in which he has wrought to accomplish it is this, he gave himself for our sins. And in his death rebellious flesh was brought to an end in the judgment of God, and by the gift of the Spirit he has attached us to himself in resurrection. In the putting away of our sins, our guilty selves have been brought to an end in judgment, and by the Spirit we are in him who is the righteous one, and in whom sin is not. 
and from him we derive our moral being, for we are born of him, and if we abide in him we do not sin, for we derive the strength and energy of our life from him. In abiding in him, the flesh, which can do nothing but sin is not in activity, we derive from the righteous one, and righteousness characterizes us. I would draw the reader's attention to this expression, abide, found in John's Gospel and Epistles. He does not only use the term, in him, but far more frequently, abide in him. Paul speaks of, in Christ, and, new creation, but John, of, abiding, in him, and practical life. The former gives us more the idea of the place in which the sovereign love of God has set us, excluding the thought of responsibility, the latter brings in the thought of responsibility, we are to continue in him. Then again it is, in Christ, with Paul, whereas in John it is, in the Son. In Christ, is the contrast of, in Adam, and therefore it is new creation instead of old. Bid, in the Son, is much more a question of nature and affections, therefore, abide in him, has a much more practical bearing than the term, in him, would convey. An expression in Colossians, holding the head, conveys very nearly this thought in John's writings. Whosoever sins has not seen him, neither known him. The manifestation of the Son of God has had no effect upon the one who continues in the practice of sin. In spite of the fact that the true light now shines, he remains in the darkness, and the works of darkness he does. The sun has risen, but night in his soul maintains its stubborn sway, it has had no more influence upon him than if it never had entered the world, and lawlessness, pollution, lust and pride in which wallow the denizens of this godless world's blind night, so characterizes him that whatever profession he may make, it is easy to see he has made no acquaintance with the Son of God. Nothing can break the power of sin in anyone, but that which has come to light in Christ. It is necessary that one should receive the Spirit of God, and we are accustomed to say that all power for good lies in the Spirit, and nothing could be more true than this. But the Spirit works in the soul by that which has come to light in Christ, and occupies the heart with new and holy things, and above all with the love of God, which he sheds abroad in the heart. So that new and pure and heavenly affections assert themselves and obtain supremacy, and thus the dominion of sin is broken, and the new man is drawn irresistibly after Christ, in whom all that is attractive to the renewed mind resides. The Apostle would have the saints well assured of this. They were not to allow themselves to be deceived by the pretensions of men. Those who practiced righteousness were righteous, even as he is righteous, because they derived from him. The thing that was true in him was true in them. They were born of him, and everything produces after its kind. Those who practiced sin were of the devil. The apostle goes right back to the source. Adam brought sin into the world, but he was not the originator of sin, the devil was. He sinned from the outset of sin. He was the first sinner. Hence, John does not stop at Adam, in tracing the genealogy of those who rejected the light of God, he goes back to the very beginning. But the Son of God was manifested that he might undo the works of the devil, and the manifestation of the Son of God has brought a new generation into existence who can be spoken of as begotten of God. And such do not practice sin, for his seed remains in him, and such cannot sin, because they have been begotten of God. This, of course, is looking at the believer abstractly as born of God, and not as in his mixed and complex condition with sin in him, and liable, if not watchful, to failure. He is viewed here simply as born, or begotten of God, excluding for the moment from the thought, that as long as we are down here, the flesh and sin are in us. And that we need to be constantly on the alert lest these evil principles be set in motion. We need to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, and alive unto God in Christ, or we may soon find out to our sorrow that we are quite capable of sinning. But here, as I have said, we are viewed abstractly as begotten of God, and considered in this light only, we can easily understand the statement, he cannot sin, because he is born of God. It is in this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. The day for the manifestation of the sons of God has not yet arrived.
When this day arrives the groaning creation will come in for blessing, but the children are already manifested in this, they do righteousness, and they cannot do righteousness without loving the brethren. For, this is the message that he heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We cannot be righteous without walking after his commandments, and if we walk after his commandments we will love the brethren. We are not righteous unless we are walking in love toward the children of God. Whoever does not practice righteousness, is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. In the first earthly family we find the two generations illustrated. Cain's works were wicked, and because of this he hated his brother, and slew him. He was of that wicked one, and the moral features of the devil were stamped upon him. He was characterized by sin, hatred, and murder, and what provoked him, and set all his evil nature in motion was what was of God in Abel, wherefore slew he him. Because his own works were evil, and has brothers righteous. Therefore saints are not to marvel if the world hate them. It is only natural to it to do so. It did not know Christ, and it does not know the children of God, it hated him, and it hates them. The word of God in the heart is the secret of righteousness in the saints, and it is also the secret of the world's hatred of them, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, John chapter 17 verse 14. The word of God received into the heart, and kept there, brings one out in the moral characteristics of God, and this arouses all the evil and hatred of the depraved fallen nature and murder takes possession of the inflamed and devil-possessed mind. It was so in the case of Cain, and it is so of the world today, and while it should cause us to be watchful and maintain a separate path, it should cause us no surprise. This world is a sphere of darkness, sin, death, and hatred of everything that is of God, but there is another sphere upon earth where dwell light, righteousness, life, and love. And though in the present mixed-up condition of things in Christendom, that sphere may be difficult to find, yet it must be found if we are to know much about life. It was easy enough to find in the days of the apostles, and if we cannot find it as a public distinct thing from the world today, we must get the truth of it into our heart. Because the sphere does exist in the power of the spirit, and the elements which compose the sphere are bound together by ties indestructible, and when we have found it we know that we have passed from death unto life. Because we love the brethren. This circle is circumscribed within the limits of the indwelling spirit of God, and it is in this circle of holy and divine affections that life is known and enjoyed. The heart that is a stranger to the love of the brethren abides in death. Divine life lies in divine love, and therefore all is moral death where divine love is not in activity. But a more terrible state than even this may exist, for there may be positive hatred to the saints, and where this exists, the man is a murderer. And, ye know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It is striking in John's writings the way he speaks of the world, because it was really the Jew to whom Christ was presented. But in a way the world, that ordered system, into which Christ came, was headed up in the Jew. It was through Israel that God proposed to take possession of the whole earth. To them he committed his name and the glory that belonged to it, by identifying himself with them, but instead of the honor of that name being guarded as sacred and holy, it was blasphemed among the Gentiles through them. The laws that they received from God, though typical of better things, which would be brought in by Christ, were suited to man in the flesh, with whom God was dealing, and were the elements of the world. When the substance came, of which they were the shadow, they are pronounced weak and beggarly, but that is because on account of the perversity of the flesh, they could accomplish no blessing. And also because they were addressed to man as a bondslave. But had Israel been faithful, through them the world would have been recovered for God. Indeed, in the world to come this will actually take place, for, salvation is of the Jews. Israel failed, and were carried captive to Babylon, and when the Son of God came, they were under the yoke of the Roman. Still it was to these people he came, and when he came, the world was in view, and had they received him it would have not only meant deliverance for them from the oppressor and supremacy over the nations, 
but blessing for the wide world. But the coming of Christ to Israel was his coming into the world, and his rejection by them was his rejection by the world. In the rejection of Christ the world comes before the vision consolidated as a great system, a mighty organism of lawlessness, wickedness, and antagonism against God and his Christ, and the devil is discovered as the instigator, leader, and director of the infernal conspiracy which was hatched among the Jews in Jerusalem. In this way the devilish nature of this world system has come to light. It has seen and hated the Father and the Son, and we are not to wonder, therefore, if it hate the saints. Love is found in the Christian circle. It has come to light in the death of Christ, he laid down his life for us. This love, if it is in us, will be seen in our laying down our lives for the brethren. Self is not to be tolerated. We are not to be lovers of self. We are to walk as he walked, in the spirit of self-sacrificing love. We may not be called upon to die actually, but the love which is to come out in our walk and ways with one another, is that which was seen in Christ among his own, and which culminated in his death upon the cross for them. But if one be found careless and indifferent concerning the temporal necessity of his brother, when the need is there in all its nakedness before his eyes, if one is found harsh and insensible with reference to these least things, we may well ask, how dwells the love of God in him? Our love is not to be in word or tongue, there is to be depth, power, and reality, in it. It is to be like the love of God, indeed it is to be that same love as nature in us, and to be expressed as his was expressed, indeed and in truth. It is not mere natural affection which may be weakened by wrongs and unkindnesses, or killed to the very roots by fell weeds of lust and self-love, which are natural to the fleshly heart, and which may be nourished there. But it is that which is of God, and which never fails, which bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If we walk in the exercise of this love, it will involve continual self-surrender, but in this way we shall know that we are of the truth. As begotten of the truth, deception will be foreign to our nature, and when we are tested, we shall not fail to answer to whatever demand may be made upon us. And even if our brethren seem cold and indifferent to us, we shall not be so to them, but like Paul, we shall be able to go on in the exercise of love, when the more abundantly we love. The less we be loved, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 15. And in this we shall persuade our hearts before him. We need to keep before us the fact that Christianity is not a creed, neither do we come into it by the submission of our minds to certain doctrines. But it is the life of Jesus reproduced in our mortal bodies. If we do not walk as he walked, in love to the saints, we shall have our hearts condemning us, and if our hearts condemn us, we cannot flatter ourselves that God knows nothing about our selfish ways. But rather we shall feel that if the thing is bad in our eyes, how much more must it be in his, and in drawing near to him we shall be greatly hindered. But if we walk in love to his people we have boldness towards him, and all our prayers are answered, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. What a blessed path he has marked out for us. The path his own son has traced for us through this world. The path of righteousness, holiness, love, and life. And how good of him to open our eyes to see it, to put the desire into our hearts to tread it, to encourage us to take it, to guide our feet in any feeble way into it. And to give us all the support we need upon it. And, also, how gracious of him to give us upon that path the company of his own beloved people, those who are dear to his heart, for whom his son gave up his life. To put us in relationship with himself and with one another, and to awaken in our hearts toward one another the same love wherewith he has loved us. This may be feeble in our hearts, but though it be feeble, it is there. He has placed it there, and in his unwearying interest in us he keeps it burning in our hearts, it is because he lives, we live also. This love is the strength and nourishment of our hearts, and it is only in the measure in which we walk in love that we practice righteousness and please God, for, this is his commandment.
that we should believe on the name of his Son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. His Son Jesus Christ is the object of faith. Because it is in him the love of God has been declared. If he is not believed in the love of God is not apprehended, but where he is the object of faith the heart is in the light of divine love. And as God has lavished all his love upon the saints, so we are to love one another. If the saints are the objects of the love of God they may well be the objects of my love. But if divine love is in us this means that he is in us, for God is love, and we are made conscious that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given to us. For it is by the Spirit that his love has reached our hearts, and it is by him we are kept in the enjoyment of that love, and in the exercise of it toward one another. So that not only do we know that we are in him, but we know also that he is in us. This is the first time in the epistle we come to, he abides in us. Previous to this it has been, we, abide in him. But the latter is simply the complement of the former, and results from it. We are in him, in relationship with the Father, and he is in us for power and testimony. He says John chapter 14 verse 20, At that day, the Spirit's day, ye shall know that I am in my Father. And ye in me and I in you. The way in which the Apostle has used, abide in him, in the earlier part of the epistle, has been in the way of relationship, safety, and blessing. But now that we have come to the obverse of this, abides in us, we find it is used in the way of power and testimony. If we are in him, he is in us, and if he is in us, as it has often been remarked, nothing else should come out of us. He is to be seen in his people. We are not to shine before the world in our natural qualities, but in the light of Christ. It will be so in the day of display, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired in all them that believe, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10, but it ought to be so now. And it will be so if we walk in the Spirit.